Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. I gotta admit, for the first 23 years of my life, I was uh, pretty confused by the whole uh, church scene, very confused why people would sing to Jesus, very confused why people would raise their hands, why didn't really understand why people were dunking people in water. I just was very confused by it all because the, the message that I picked up and, and different places I went and I grew up in the 80s and in 90s is that, you know, there are certain things that you do and you don't do. So, you know, you, 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 you don't listen to, to rock music. You, you don't watch these movies uh, you, you don't do these things. You don't drink beer. You don't cuss. There's certain bracelets you got to wear. There's certain bumper stickers you got to put on your car or your Bible. Either one's fine. And so there's certain things that you do and you don't do. And you know, going through, you know, you know, watch. <laughs> We'd get shown videos. Uh, I think it was called Jam because we love acronyms in the church. Jesus and me. And we. Uh, <laughs> and it was basically like if you. The message was if you you know, listen to too much journey, um, you may take amphetamines and kill your parents. So like, so that was the message. And I don't even know how people got saved in the 80s and 90s, but they did. And they, and so, th- so this, this thought was like, okay, this is, this is what it means. And so this is what's happening, that people are coming together. You know, they're celebrating the fact, they're singing about, uh, they're excited by the fact that they don't do these things, that they don't, they don't watch these movies and they don't, they don't engage in these activities and, and they do the right thing and, and they have the right uh, you know, bracelets and stickers and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's what they're, so it just seems strange to me uh, because that, you know, and anytime I would try that, anytime you know, my friends would try that, it just didn't seem to work for us. But um, verses like the verses that we just read begin to shed some light on that, so what I want to talk to you about today, uh, it's, I'll just read it to you again. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous in, uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, or the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, okay, now I heard that message, and I heard it a lot, and every time I heard it, I was like, okay, I'm out then. If, this, if these are the people that aren't included, then I'm out. If there's no room in the kingdom of God for swindlers and idolaters and fornicators and liars and people who struggle with homosexuality and adulterers and idolaters, then I'm out. And most of the people I know are out. But the next five words began to change how I saw things. Verse 11, and such were some of you. Okay, so now this is a bit more everyday than I thought. It's a little bit more gritty that this isn't just people, you know, men in, in, in nice suits coming together and celebrating the fact that they don't drink beer, they don't watch rated R movies. Now all of a sudden there's something to this. There's some weight to this. Now all of a sudden I started to grasp that people are not celebrating the fact that they were, you know, they just kind of uh, came onto the scene as these people who can do certain things. But what's going on here, people are, were coming into a room and they were saying things like, okay, uh, because of the fracture in my soul, I used to think that money is what's going to make it, but I realized it ruined my life. Christ saved me from that. Praise be to Christ. And then someone would come in and say, okay, uh, these men say, you know, I had this massive 
porn addiction and it was killing my marriage and it was killing my life. But Christ saved me from that. Praise be to Christ. And other people are like, I used to be a reviler and I don't even know what that means, but I used to revile stuff. And, but Christ saved me from being a reviler. You know, reviling's horrible. And so, but Christ saved me from that. And all of a sudden, okay, the church is a little messier, a little bit more every day. Okay, these people, you know, they, they actually, they, they struggled once, you know, like I do. And so maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's a little bit of hope. And I'm thinking, okay, these people were, were bad, but now they're not bad anymore. And that should be celebrated. I mean, they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and, you know, they should celebrate that. That's, you know, very, very well done. But it was still a little discouraging because, um, again, it didn't seem like something that I could do. And it seemed a little distant to me. Um, so I want to make something very, very clear. If you have no church background, or you have tons of church background, uh, and you heard something different, I just want you to know that, that the scriptures, that there's nowhere in the scriptures that ever once celebrate or exalt a man's ability to clean themselves up. Not once. It's just not there. So what I began to see is this next line makes all the difference. What happened to the sum of yous? How do they become this and now this? It says, but you were washed. Now, let me explain something. If you, if you don't remember eighth grade English, you just became the passive agent, which means you didn't do anything. You did not wash yourself. You were washed. It continues. And you were sanctified. Something washed you. Something sanctified you. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So this section is telling us that by the unilateral, one-sided initiative of God, you were made right, even though that you were guilty. So now I'm beginning to understand some things here. Now Christianity isn't so much about what I do and don't do. So maybe when people are coming together and they're singing their songs and they're raising their hands and a bunch of other crazy stuff. Maybe they're not celebrating the fact that they have cleaned themselves up. They're celebrating the fact that in his grace, they, God washed them, God sanctified them, God justified them, that even though they were once liars and, and, and cheaters and adulterers and fornicators and, and, and blasphemers and revilers, that while they were sinners, Christ died for them and forgave them and, and now is being merciful to them. And what I found out too it's not only were they once that way, as I began to engage them, I began to understand that they still struggled. And not all of them, but some of them were actually very honest about their struggles. And it didn't seem to steal from their joy. It didn't steal from their confidence. It actually made them more bold, more joyful, more robust, more loving, more caring. The more that they said, well, I'm, I'm a, I'm broken. I'm a failure. Because now they lived in this mind-boggling reality that the creator of the universe descended upon this green and blue planet, became one of us, lived perfectly, could have, you know, named his price, but died on the cross for you and I and rose on the third day victoriously, that anyone that would call upon the name of the Lord would be washed, would be sanctified, would be justified. And that was why they were singing. 
and dancing and shouting. This is our gospel. This is our good news. And we are kicking off a, a new series in the middle part of 1 Corinthians that I am titling Christians Behaving Badly. Because I want to communicate something and I want to make something very clear that we will see exemplified in the Corinthian church that you can be saved, you can be covered in his blood, you can be baptized in the spirit, you could be empowered by uh, you know, ministering in the power of the spirit and yet be completely blind to patterns of sin that do not glorify God or help people. It all matters of what you point to for your confidence, for your joy, for your peace, for the fact that you are accepted by God. If we get the gospel wrong, everything about what we do will be wrong. Now, let me just pull the curtain back. People will still give money, we'll still have a building and everything will seem like it always is but will be deeply flawed and ineffective and joyless. We'll probably give up. We'll probably give ourselves to something else. But we want something better than that. That's, even though we're looking at chapters five through nine, I wanna look at six because if we get this right, if we get this wrong, then the house that we're building, the, the beliefs, the, the values, the attitudes, the actions will be off. But if, if we get this right, I think we have a shot. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? It's, it's exemplified here, or it's communicated very clearly here in 1 Corinthians uh, six. Um, but, and what, it, what, it, what the gospel is, is number one, that we were all, Sinners, we were all once not just acts of sin, but, but in sin. Paul, who wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, he, if you're new to your Bible, he was a, a key leader and, and he wrote most of uh, what we read in, in the New Testament, specifically those letters uh, about to the different churches. He'd write them all, but he wrote most of them. And one of the things when he communicates the gospel, you see this thread in all of his letters, is that we are all sinful. I mean, just totally levels the playing field. Like there's no like, you know, degrees of sinful. Like we're all in that category. And to the Romans, he says, we all sin and fall short. Uh, to the Ephesians, he said it this way. And we were, I love this phrase. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Like you just weren't in the doghouse with God needing to be forgiven of a few offenses. In the doghouse, you can, you know, you can whimper, you can call out for help, but you're, in the, you're dead, you're in the morgue. What do you do when you're in the morgue? Well, you need something outside of you, apart from you, who doesn't, who, who's not looking for instructions from you to save you, to, to wash you, to cleanse you, to sanctify you. So God did something, being, God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he had loved us, not because we are holy, not because we are moral, not because we, you know, we, we, you know, of course he picked us. God did something. We sin, he saves. We rebel, he restores. We fail, he fixes. He does something. That's the other part of the gospel is that we, we have sinned. We fall miserably short. 
And that, and that just levels the playing field. There is no difference between you and anybody that you can think of that you think is a really despicable person. Person. Poison. <laughs> and the other part of it is that God does something. And, th and then we respond. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For grace you've been saved through faith. Check this out. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. So here's the effect of the gospel. The gospel does two amazing things. And, and there, it's a paradox. It, it gives you this, this, this crazy amount of confidence because you are no longer building your life upon your performance. This is really important, upon your performance, but you're building your life upon his performance. So when you think about what you do and what you don't do and how you failed and what you did last night and you don't whimper into life and you don't kind of whimper into rooms, you have a robustness because you're not, because what you do, successful or not, is not even a part of the equation. It's all built upon what Jesus has done for you. And it makes you confident, not afraid, what can man, I mean, they can do all kinds of things to you, like kill you, but what can they really do to you if your confidence is in him? The other thing it does, unparalleled humility. A position of a humility that we're not better. We are certainly blessed, but we're not better. And that is humility before God, before your God and humility before your fellow man. Humility before God in, in worship and in adoration, but but, but also humility before your fellow man and service and loving. So here's what happens. Let me explain the, the gospel. Let me explain like, you know, why people clap and why people sing and, and why people shout and, and all the things. I mean, it's kind of a weird, I mean, we dunk people in water. Here in a little bit, we're gonna drink out of very tiny cups. I can't, I don't know if the, in the wafer, I, that may or may not be digestible. I don't know, but whatever, there's some weird things happening here. If you take a step back and look at what we're doing here, what isn't going on is that somehow we've cleaned ourselves up or I've cleaned myself up but, and now God accepts us and like us because look at us and look at what we do and we figured a few things out. What's happened here is that while we were revilers, drunkards, uh, adulterers, pagan as they come, in the middle of all that, by the Holy Spirit of God in the predetermined weird will of God, he whispered in that deep part of us, I love you. I love you. And we were like, what? You can't love me? I'm a drunk. You can't love me? Uh, uh, I'm a liar. You can't love me? I am in the middle of a homosexual relationship. You can't love me? And when he touches you in that dark place, you respond with, I will pursue you. I will love you with everything that I have. And so what's going on here is in the middle of all that, God has met us apart from us. Some of us weren't even really looking for him. In fact, some of us were trying to get away from him, but he came and he captured us. And now we will pursue him with everything that we have. So if you, for those this morning, if you've come in and maybe you would call yourself a, 
reviler. You know, you're on that list, a drunkard. Same-sex relationship, fornicator, whatever it is. Our invitation to you is not to come be like us. That's not our invitation. Our invitation, hey, there's, there's room at the cross. There's room. There's one who bled and died for you. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And if you receive this, if you receive this today, you will be filled with a joy and a peace and a confidence and a purpose that you couldn't imagine. This is behind all that we do. This will be the source and the power. This is why all across this morning, people will put on clothes they don't normally wear and they'll go in the buildings. That's, what they're, that's what's happening here. It's happening at other locations. It's happening at Green Tree. It's happening at Cross Point, the Crossing Southgate journey. All celebrating the fact that it's not what we do. It's what he has done on our behalf. So this humbles us. This is important. This is where we can tell personally and corporately if we got off. This humbles us to readily admit that we're not who we're supposed to be. And we have some things to learn. And we have some ways to grow. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth, it's a word that Christians are really holding on to these past few years, is not in us. If we confess our sins, on the contrary, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So I I want you to notice two very important things that can happen with sin. You can either confess it or it will deceive you. You can either confess it or it will deceive you. So we're going to look at the Corinthian church, and it's going to be really easy to poke fun at them. They, they did some things that, um, yeah, I mean, you read it and you kind of blush. And, you know, if you had your Bible on audio, you make sure your kids aren't around and things like that. But of all the things that, all the things that Paul could have pointed to, the, the thread in all of it was their pride, was their arrogance. Because you can either confess sin or it will deceive you. Not because I said it, but because that's what God's word says. And if you are humble before, so when I say things like the gospel makes you humble before your God and humble before your fellow man, that's one of the reasons why. Because if you're not, if you're humble before God's word, you will humble yourself before your fellow man in confessing where you fall short. If you're not, if, the, if you don't take God's word seriously, and you're not humble before it, then you won't be humble before your fellow man. 
church is not a place about religion that divides up the haves and have-nots because, again, the Christian who truly understands, who truly understands that they have been forgiven by a unilateral act of grace of God, understands that they are broken and in need of grace. In fact, the closer that we get to Jesus, the more that we see his beauty and majesty, the more, not that we become more broken, we just realize we're more broken than we've ever thought we were. So it's something that that grows. But unfortunately, as Christians, we show that we're just not, we don't understand the gospel because we just pretend we're more moral than everyone else. We're more devoted. The gospel is not that we are more moral or more devoted. It's that Jesus saves. Saves us from what? Saves us from us. The fact that we can't be moral. The fact that we can't be devoted. That's why we need a savior. It's like the whole, it's like the big idea that gets lost somehow in the details. Like God says, be holy as I am holy. Does anyone else have a problem with that? Like, is that, is that a struggle for anyone else? Just on Tuesdays. So, you know, it's not just that Christianity and religion are like, you know, they're kind of similar. I, I want us to see that, that Christianity and religion are like polar opposites, like completely antithetical. They don't match. In fact, Jesus, Jesus kind of told a parable to, to describe the person who, who on the outside looks good and does all the right things and, and gets caught up in a religious, um, a religious cycle, let's say, call it that. And then he describes a person who gets truly transformed by the gospel. And I just want to share that story. I want to t- retell that parable that he told. In fact, I'll just read you what he says. He says a parable in Luke 18, verse 9. He says, he told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they are righteous, and look at this, and treated others with contempt. So what happens when you, when you get caught up in religion, you automatically treat other people with contempt. Again, it's why the effect of the gospel is you're humble before God and you're humble before your fellow man. Uh, if, you, if you're not, if the opposite is to treat people with contempt. So there's someone that you can see, well, I, man, I really feel sorry for them. In fact, that's what the guy says. He says, two men went up to the temple and prayed in a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee, the religious person standing by himself said, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men. Thank you, God. Got this great family and this great job. And man, you just blessed me. And man, I'm so grateful that I'm not like that person. Not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. That is an amazing church member. Fast twice a week? Tithes everything that he gets? But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God be merciful merciful to me, a sinner. 
So one prayed, man, I just, man, God, I just, life is so good. Thank you so much for this good life that I have and I'm not in these other situations. Thank you. This other person says, I'm a sinner. I need, I need mercy. What does Jesus say? I tell you this man, that is the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Three things you can count on in life. Death, taxes, and you will be humbled. You'll either humble yourself or he will humble you. The last thing, again, is I want you to sign up for religion. I want you to sign up. I want us to sign up for a gospel humility that says I've made a mess of my life and I can't fix it. A life built not upon our performance, but built upon the performance of Jesus. A humility that says, God, I am a sinner and I need you to wash me. I need you to sanctify me, to justify me. And the Bible says that when you call upon the name of the Lord, he will save you. If you seek, you will find him. If you knock, the door will be open, but it won't stop there. He will make you a player in his kingdom because here's the, the, the essence of sin is that we don't want God's purpose, we want our purpose. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. God, you, you say that you have this life laid out for me, I don't, I reject that life and I choose this life. So God, when he saves us, he just doesn't save us from sin. So yes, he takes away the sin. Yes, he gets rid of all that. He, he reverses the curse. He, he doesn't count us against us. He forgives us. He saves us from something. But here's the really good news. He saves us back into a purpose. He saves us from our life of sin to a life of purpose which means that the way that you know that the gospel has thoroughly affected your life, you're not just grateful for what he's done in your past, but you're eagerly looking to walk this life that he lived and give yourself away, just as Jesus gave yourself away. You're willing to give away your finances. You're willing to give away your time, your schedule, your energy, your passion. You lay it all before him because he saves you from the thing that got you in the in the problem in the first place, which is rejecting his plan for your life. And he wants to bring that back to you. He wants to restore it to you. Jesus was so clear. It says about, it says about him in Philippians 2 that, that he who had everything, uh, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he descended and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. His greatness was defined not in how high he ascended, but in how low he descended. And our path is the same. Our path is how can I make less of myself? How can I empty myself? How can I, you know, as, as Paul would later write, how can I submit myself to others? How can I come under? Not how I can build myself up and assert myself. And how can I come under? What if, what would it look like for a community of people? I mean, to take 
to take God seriously. I don't mean just seriously like the, the, the rules and the things that we, we seem to think, but I mean really take what he says seriously and wholly give our lives to him. Not based upon, again, if you're basing your life on your performance, you'll never ever do it. Because every time you give yourself away, you'll feel like you're losing. But the gospel is that he lost and he became the bigger winner. And it's the same thing for you, is that following this gospel path will humble you, give you this crazy confidence that the world is looking for. The world is scared, afraid, doesn't know what to do. And we don't shine the light as some, you know, hey, we've got, yeah, we do. Oh, you don't believe that? That's okay. Because my identity is not tied up in how you receive me. My identity is firmly planted in Jesus and what he's done for me. But I love you and I care for you. I don't want to give my life to you. I'm going to serve you. I want you to know about him. Man, I tell you what, we'll have a joy and a peace that the Bible says that we won't, that men don't understand. In other words, if I try to explain to you, if God tried to explain to us the kind of peace that we would have and the kind of joy that we'd have, we couldn't understand it. But it's available. Meaning, purpose, joy, love. He's got so much for us. And so as we go through the series, and man, we're gonna, we're gonna like, you know, buckle up. I mean, there's some, there's some crazy things in this middle part of this chapter. And I don't think we should be put off by the phrase Christians behaving badly. Of course they behave badly. Our identity isn't that Christians behave perfectly. Our identity is that, yeah, Christians make a mistake and they make mistakes and they sin and they mess up. But we don't wanna be those that are deceived by our sin. We wanna be those that confess our sin. So we're gonna take a look at all kinds of stuff to see how God might move us closer to himself, built upon his great gospel, which is our hope when we stand. I remember, if you're new to all this and, and wondering how you get in, I'm, You know, I, I hear this all the time. In fact, I heard it last night. I was, I, I was at this party last night and, you know, people find out you're a pastor and they start getting really insecure. And this person was telling me all the ways that they are trying to be a better person. And I've heard this dozens and hundreds of times. And it's the same story and and when I get a chance to, to input it, I say the problem is that you're trying. The problem is you're trying. You need to stop trying. We use this word, surrender. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. It's a really good word, really good way of thinking about it because that's exactly what you do. You I give up. I can't do it. I'm not who I'm supposed to be. I'm not who I want to be, much less who God wants me to be. So you surrender. Ella, when she was two, she loved spaghetti. 
eats it with her hands. Hey, Ellie, you got some spaghetti in your hands. Okay, now Ellie, you got spaghetti in your face. Okay, now Ellie, you got it on your arm. You got it all over you. The more she tried to clean herself up, the messier she got. You need someone to, you need someone else to wash you, to sanctify you, to justify you. And Jesus wants to do that for you. You're, you find that you're struggling with pride and the answer there is like, oh yeah, okay, I need to stop being prideful. That's not how you stop being prideful. That's how you continue to be prideful. How you stop being prideful is you confess that you're prideful and you ask God to forgive you. I'm prideful. Very often, the week I see that when I look back I see in my anger I see in my fear I see how I talk to other people how I think about the future there's a lot of me in there if I don't confess it you don't confess it, if we don't confess it, it will deceive you. It will deceive you as an individual. It will deceive us as a church. Next week we'll, well, I don't want to say next week yet. I'm going to stay here. So let's come to Jesus. Jesus, you are a great God and King. Who is man that you would think of them? We don't deserve. We are actively running from you. We were were revilers, drunkards, idolaters. But God, outside of us and without our permission, you died for us. And on the third day, you rose to new life. And you give as a gift, as mercy, forgiveness and righteousness. God, I pray, Lord, we want to remind ourselves of that right now. And I pray that, Lord, that you would, that humility would just sweep over our church, every location, every group, every individual. I pray, Lord, that with our mouth and our lives, Lord, that we would trumpet the best news ever And as Paul would later say, that we live lives worthy of the gospel. They'd be aligned. They'd be in sync. They wouldn't be counter to. God, we know that we're not the answer to our problems. We know that you are. So we just confess where we're wrong, knowing that you are are eager to purify us from all unrighteousness, every ounce of pride, every word of contempt, every eye roll. Lord, the things that we don't do that we should and the things that we should do that we don't. 
God, I thank you for your forgiveness. We receive it afresh. We're not walking out of here with our heads down and we're walking out of here with our heads high because our confidence was never in our performance and it never was and it never will be. So God, we remind ourselves this is about what you've done. So we can leave here forgiven and free, confident and bold and humble and blessed and peaceful and joyful. May we be a witness to this city and through this city, the world.